If you would, uh, take your Bible and turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. We're going to look at one of the longest sentences in the Bible. I am not sure it is the longest, but it is among the long ones. Actually, it takes up six verses before you see a period. But that's not the important thing. The important thing is what it says. Today we're going to be talking about being equipped to serve. Do you realize that you are a servant of God? Let me say that again. Four people realize that. You are a servant of God. You are called of God. You are anointed of God, or at least should be, to be a servant of God. See, historically in the church world, we look at those individuals like pastors and teachers and evangelists as if they are the servants of God and the rest of us are just here. Now, I don't know very many people that would say that, but that's actually the way it's often looked at in traditional churches. But I'm here today to say that that is not biblical. That's not biblical. Every believer is a servant of God with the same responsibility as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers have in their calling. In other words, let me say it like this. I highly esteem the ministry of Billy Graham. He's dead now, but his ministry went on for about 70 years. And I think he did a great job in his calling. He was not called to be a Bible teacher or even a pastor, but he was an evangelist. He walked in the calling, the gifting, and the anointing of the evangelist. But one thing that I'm glad for is this. God's not going to judge me on the basis of how he judges Billy Graham in his calling. Because I don't have that. Every individual has a ministry, a calling, and there is available for that person an anointing to do that particular ministry. Now, we can tell by looking at church history how well that we've done in that respect. The early church from the day of Pentecost forward, anointed by the Holy Spirit, it was a very organic or life-giving church or body. It was not structured ecclesiastically. It was structured by relationships. All right? It was relational. They knew nothing about church, quote, unquote, buildings. There was no such thing as church buildings in those days. Now, that was a couple of hundred... 300 years maybe later when those began to develop. And they actually had individual structures dedicated for the purpose of having a meeting, a church meeting in it. But in its very beginning, it began on the day of Pentecost by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That should tell us a little bit about what is required to be an organic church. Is the anointing of the Holy Spirit and relationships that are established out of that anointing and walk with God. 
So are you saying, Pastor, that we don't need church building? Not saying that. I'm saying merely that's not how the body was started. It was started under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and relationships that were built, established, and and nurtured out of that. Now, we have five ministries here. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. I'm reading New King James, and it says, And he himself gave some to be. Stop there a minute. The word to be is not in the original Greek, but some say, say that it's implied to be, that implied that it should be. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Now, those ministries were put in the church by, guess what? Your Savior. Jesus put those ministries in the church. It's as if Jesus took his ministry that he had for three and a half years on earth when he was here, took his ministry and distributed gifts, five different type of ministry gifts into those types of people. Some were special messengers. An an individual sent with a message to groups of people to establish the work of God, apostles. I'm going to give you a little simple illustration. Look at your hand. you got five digits. And I would say that the apostle is kind of like your thumb. Do you know if you didn't have a thumb, it'd be hard to hold something. You could hold some things, but it'd make it a lot more difficult. You can't build and, and, and carry and do the work of God without the ministry of the apostle the way God wants it done at least. Then the index finger. It's like the prophet. He's pointing the way. Thus saith the Lord, go do this. Finger's a good pointer. That's that's the prophetic. The middle finger is the evangelist, which for most people is longer than the rest. That means that the outreach of the evangelist covers more area, more geography, more masses of people. You know, like Billy Graham that I just used a while ago that he preached to over, I think it was over 210 million people in person in addition to the radio, TV ministries that he had. In person, over 210 million. That's a lot of folks. But that he was an evangelist. And then the ring finger, that's the pastor. It's a relationship built on love. And then the little finger, that's the teacher to dig out problems, like cleaning out your ear. (laughs) So you got the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. Ministries given by God, but not something given to do all the work. I got three amens on that one. In the traditional church structure, we look at those... Now, the church I came up in, we didn't believe in apostles and prophets. And we knew a little bit about evangelists, not a whole lot. But the ones that took up most of the time and and did things around the church uh, was the pastor and the teacher. You know, we had Sunday school teachers and, and other teachers, and we had the pastor who came and preached on Sunday and... You know, people thought that's all that he did was just preach on Sunday and all of that. 
That's not, that's not the New Testament structure. The New Testament structure is apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teacher, but they had a specific job to do. Hang with me. That's where you come in. They had a specific job to do. And I'm going to look at this and ask five questions. Well, what was it? Verse 11. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Stop there. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Now, some translations have it like this. For the equipping of the saints, comma, for the work of the ministry. Actually, in the New Testament text originally given, there is no punctuation. That was put in by those particular translators. I think it's best understood that he's talking about one thought there in that phrase. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry or work of service. That it is the fivefold ministry guys' job assignment given by the risen Lord Jesus to equip the saints so the saints can do the work of ministry. That's not the way that traditional church has done it. But if we stick with Scripture, which, isn't that what we're supposed to do? I think that's what we're supposed to be doing is going by Scripture. These guys are supposed to be equipping. Equipping. Another translation says preparing the saints so the saints can do their ministry. Now, how well have have they done it? Sometimes not very good. Sometimes not very, not very good. I remember in the summer of 1965 when I answered the call of God for the ministry. I go and I tell my pastor. I come home from the college that weekend and had an appointment with my pastor and I sat down with him and I told him that. This is what God, I believe God has said to me and I believe this is what he wants out of my life. I was the grand old age of 17. I was a junior. I was the summer between my junior and senior year in high school. And he said, well, that's okay. That's good. That's good. Two weeks from Wednesday night, I want you to preach. And I said, you what? He said, two weeks from Wednesday night, I want you to preach. I said, about what? He said, you pray and study. And God will tell you. I said, really? So I had a brother that was a pastor, had been pastoring for over 10, 11 years. So I go talk to him. I thought, he's got probably a better answer. So I said, I told him what I felt like God had said to me. And I said, uh, and, and I told my pastor, and he wants me to preach on two weeks from Wednesday night. What am I going to say? He said, why don't you pray and, and read the Bible? And that was the instruction I got. I found out real quick. I needed help. But it's their job to prepare the saints to do the work of the ministry. For the edifying or building up of the body of Christ. You know, the body of Christ will be built up as each part of it does its God-assigned ministry. Let me say that again. The body of Christ, and let's just back off of that a little bit. Let's say New Life Church. Let's just center in on this 
congregation. New Life Church will be built up when every person does their ministry as God has given and assigned it. I saw an ad in a Christian magazine. And it was about a particular series of teaching that this one person had done. And it was on being generous, tithing and giving offerings and things of that nature. And this guy that, that uh, did the teaching apparently had said this at one of the, at the service where this particular message was taped. And he said, he's, he told the church this, every need we have as a church has already been provided by God. And when he said that, everybody said, amen, brother, that's good preaching. They got all excited. All the needs met. Everything we need has already been provided by God. Every bit of the finances we need, it's already been provided by God. And the congregation got excited. He said, do you know where it is? No. It's in your bank account. He was trying to make a point to say that as each person does what they are called and assigned to do, the body working together can accomplish whatever it's called to do. I actually believe that. I believe that God has given people in New Life Church every gift that this church needs to do the job God's assigned us to do. Now, maybe he hasn't gifted us uh, like some larger churches, but I believe he's given us a call, a vision, a purpose of work in the kingdom of God. And through what he's given each of you to do, we can do it. We can actually do it. But it will require each of us doing our part. For how, how long is it going to take to do that? Look at the next verse, verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and the full knowledge of the Son of God. Stop there. Till we all come in the, to the unity of the faith. Now, we look at that and the first thing that pops to our mind is we got a long way to go before the, all the church world believes the same. Well, if that's what that verse means, I would, I would agree with that. But I actually don't believe it means you have to believe everything the same. Do you know the first century church didn't believe everything was the same? Peter was the apostle to the Jews. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. And they got in a fuss. There are some things they didn't agree on. But you know what? They agreed to look beyond their differences and work together to advance the kingdom of God. The first century church had some different beliefs right after Pentecost. There was a church council called in Acts chapter 15. And should we require this out of the Gentiles? Should we require this? How, How do we blah, 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 blah. So they had a church council to talk about it. And then James, who was, happened to be the pastor of the Jerusalem church, he finally, after everybody had had their say, he got up and said, okay, we're doing this. You know why? Because he's recognized as the pastor. 
Now, there were apostles there, there were prophets there, there were evangelists there, and there were teachers there, but he was the pastor. He, he got the final rule over that particular congregation. Are you following? So until we all come into the unity of faith and the full or complete knowledge of the Son of God, that is important because the vision or view that we have about the Son of God, Jesus, may not all be the same because our outlook may be different based on our backgrounds and our life experiences and our training. So it's going to take, what's it going to take? It's going to take making sure we have a biblical understanding of who Jesus is. That our view of Jesus is gotten from Scripture. We need the view of Jesus from the Gospels. Let Read the Gospels until Jesus walks off the pages of that Bible in front of you. Till you see Him as the Savior, the Lord, the Master, the Healer, and the Baptizer in the Holy Spirit. When He walks off the pages of the New Testament, then you're getting a fuller knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man... Stop there. The word there, perfect, sometimes translated mature. The actual Greek word means a completion. Coming, something that's brought to a conclusion. Something that's brought to an end. So that you and I may have a complete knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect or complete or mature individual to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Well, that's, that's just beyond our comprehension. God wants us to grow up. Back in the 70s, I was listening to a tape. You guys know some of the older people know, but some of the younger people probably don't even know what a reel-to-reel tape is. I'm, you know, those seven inch, or some of them were even 15 inches, and it actually had tape on there, and you put it over here, and it goes through. And I'm talking about in the days when you didn't have cassettes, or eight tracks, or CDs, or podcasts. That's why my hair, what I've got is white. (laughs) These were reel-to-reel tapes. I was listening to one of those, of this speaker, for I think it was from someplace in South America. And he was teaching on the eternal childhood of the believer. That was the topic that he was preaching on that day. I think I listened to that tape back in those days so many times, I wore all the oxide off the tape. You know why? Because it spoke volumes. Too often, what we have done is we've warmed a pew with a cold heart. I'm talking about towards God and the things of God. You know, we've, we've put in our time, as it were. We've done religious, acceptable things, but haven't grown much. We're supposed to be continuously growing. You know, there are parallels in the Bible and just in life in general. 
Some things run parallel with certain other things. As each of us grows older, we should be growing more mature. Six people believe that. As we grow older, we should be growing more mature. The problem is sometimes we're not. And that's all I say about that. That we be no longer children, tossed to and fro, cared about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Do you know, God did us no favor when he called us sheep. Sheep are not the smartest creatures. They're pretty weak, easily deceived, can't take care of themselves. And it's the leadership's job to teach, train, give responsibility with accountability so the sheep can discern attempts made to deceive them. Any pastor or any one of these, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher, if he's serious about doing the ministry that he's called to do, will be concerned when one of the people that are a part of that ministry are deceived and led astray by some of those things. He's, he's, he's greatly troubled by that. Because he knows it's his responsibility to teach and to train them because he knows that's going to happen. There's a creature out in our world called Satan, the devil and his imps, whose job is to kill, steal, and destroy. And he tries to invade people's lives and families every time he can with the express purpose of doing that, killing, stealing, and destroying. And sometimes his means is to draw them away into cults and other things so that they cannot do effectively the ministry they've been called to do. I remember on more than one occasion talking with somebody who uh, was a member of the church and find out that they were being led astray by a certain type of teaching or doctrine and sat down and tried to talk with them and hearing more than one of them say, well, I know that that's in the Bible, but I feel led to fill in the blank, go this direction. And usually I remind those people of the first time that happened to me as a pastor. I was pastoring my first church still in Bible college this time I was the grand old age of about just a little bit shy of 19. And I got a notice from the chairman of my deacons to be at the church building on a certain Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. So I made sure that I was there. And when I got there, I'm always early. But guess what? Those seven guys were earlier than me that time. They were already in the room. The chairs were lined up here. Actually, we had 13 deacons at that time. And they had one chair up front. 
When I walk in, the chairman says, that one up front's for you. I said, okay. So I go and sit down. And they were quite upset because I've been preaching from the book of Acts. I was doing a chapter by chapter exegesis of the book of Acts. Had been doing it for several weeks. They were quite upset by it. And I said, well, well guys, if what have I preached that's not in the Bible? They said, oh, we have no concern about that. No, no, we know it's in the Bible. But it isn't our doctrine. And my comeback was this. If it isn't, it should be. Because our confession of faith goes back to like 16-whatever. And it says, we believe the Bible to be the inspired word of God from Genesis to the, book, to the end of the book of Revelation. And I said, do we still believe that as a church? Do we believe that? Oh, yes. But it's not our doctrine. Well, then it should be our doctrine. If it is on good, plain, easily understood scriptures, it should be. But sometimes sheep haven't been prepared that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Say, does that happen today? Oh, yeah. It does. A lot of stuff being taught. In fact, the Old Testament talks about it. talks about prophets who would prophesy from their own heart instead of the word of the Lord. Several places indicate that. And it just calls out prophets. And then you get to the book of Ezekiel, I believe it's chapter 34, and he calls out shepherds or pastors. And he doesn't spare the hide either. I mean, he lays it on. So what are we saying? Sometimes the leadership doesn't stick with Scripture Therefore, the saints aren't prepared to deal with what's awaiting them. And as a result, things don't go well. Well, how are we going to do that? Next verse, verse 15. Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. You know, I've discovered this. I don't know why I've been kind of dense, but it's taken me several years to finally think I'm getting it. And that is this. It's easier to speak the truth than it is to speak it in love. It's easier to just let it out. Boy, just... Like a machine gun, just mowing people. You know, it's easier to do that than it is speak the truth in love. And the word love there is agape or the God type of love. Speaking the truth with God's love may cause you to grow up in all things into Him who's the head of the church, Jesus Christ. So the fivefold leadership has the God-given responsibility to speak the truth in love. 
And as they do their job, then the saints will learn to do theirs. And as a result of that, they will be making disciples of Jesus Christ who will do the same again and again and again generationally. That's the way it's supposed to work. They will make disciples who in turn make disciples. See, that's the God-given responsibility. Leadership, train the saints so the saints can do the work of their God-given ministry. It's the leadership's ministry to train the saints so the saints can do their ministry. Generation after generation after generation. That's the way it works. You know, when you leave this earth, there ought to be a minimum of one person, but hopefully hundreds, dozens, thousands of people that have been influenced by your life and ministry, what you've said and done, so that they'll take your place when you're gone. Let me say that again. When you and I leave this planet, our life should leave a legacy not of our great accomplishments, but the anointing of our great Savior and that we have obeyed God enough, we have put into people's lives so that they can take our place when we're gone. Because if that happens not to be true, you know what happens to the church? It happens in congregation, but it happens to the church worldwide. It begins to shrink in number and effectiveness. I could give you statistics. I won't because it's depressing. But I could give you statistics that indicate churches that aren't doing that are drying up and ceasing to exist. Hundreds every month. And I was, I was just looking at data in one uh, particular denomination. Hundreds every month. Why? Because they left the ministry up to the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, the apostle, or the prophet. And sometimes they didn't do a good job of doing what they are called to do. And as a result of it then, the church didn't have disciples being made generationally after generation. And when the old guys moved off the scene, there was nobody to take the place and, and take, take it on. And that's true of each one of us. Verse 16, what will the results be? From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. The whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. And I'm not talking about a joint you put between your legs. I'm talking about every person, every person has something they bring to the table, bring to the church, bring into the church. The church is built with those individuals that have been joined to it. 
according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the building up or edifying of itself in love. I said earlier, I believe that everything New Life Church needs is in you. It's in you. It's in you. Everything this body needs, it's in you. Now, for some of you, you may not even know it's in you. Whatever the gifting is that God has given, or God wants your life to manifest, you may not even know it yet. But it's there. And in the right place, and as you begin to yield to the Holy Spirit, walk in the Spirit more, you'll discover the gift that God has placed there. Let's look at a little baby. Here's this little infant, comes into the world, totally helpless, can't do a thing on its own other than squawk. But you know there's lots of potential in every baby. God-given potential. Now, he don't know it yet. Sometimes the parents don't know it yet. But there's God-given a potential in that child. So what are the parents supposed to do? They're supposed to feed it, protect it, care for it, love it, educate it, give it guidance, teach it responsibility with accountability. And if they do that, which, it, which includes training them in the ways of God. That's part of it. Don't leave it to the, to the schools. It's first the parents' responsibility. Hello? Don't leave it to the Christian schools. It's not their number one responsibility. It's the parents' responsibility. If they do that, the potential that's in that little baby when it was born begins to blossom and come forth. And they can now be not only a productive person, but they can be a productive person in the kingdom of God and develop into all that God has called them to be. See, these five-fold ministry gifts, they don't just all pop out at once. You know, these early church, these apostles, they didn't wake up one day and Peter say, you know, I believe I'm going to be the apostle to the Jews. Some of his brethren would have probably said, Peter, get off your high horse here and come down here and help us. But it, they, that developed, the gifting and the calling developed over time. That's true of these fivefold, and it's also true of every one of us. You don't self-appoint yourself to be something. You get a call or an indication from God that that's what He wants. And if that's what He wants, that's what we need to be. And you know what I've learned, and that's this. You don't have to call yourself something just so you can be it. But if you just be what God wants you to be, other people will recognize it. 
They'll recognize it. You don't have to call yourself that. Then whatever business cards you got, I'd rather have the anointing of the Holy Spirit than any elevation that's on a business card someplace. Because the fellow that printed those cards can take it away. <laughs> but the calling and the gifting of God will remain. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says that we all have been given the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says we've all been given the word or of reconciliation. 5.20 says each of us are ambassadors for Christ. So each person, he wasn't talking about the five leadership, he was talking about the saints, have the ministry of reconciliation, the word of reconciliation, and are a and ambassador for Christ. So wait a minute. Does that mean I don't have to preach from a pulpit? No. Does that mean I don't have to go on a foreign field someplace? No, you don't have to unless God tells you to. You know, you may be doing a quote, secular, unquote, job and be doing the work that God has called you to do. And you're just as much in the ministry as somebody that stands up here on Sunday. Thank God you got people in banking that are Christians. Thank God there are medical doctors that are Christians. Then if somebody's going to crack me open, I want him to know the Lord and have a steady hand and had a good night's sleep the night before. He's going to saw my chest open. Right? My point is this. In whatever occupation you find yourself, you can also have a vocation, a calling from God, that goes along and wraps itself within that occupation so that you're ministering Jesus to those people that you're in contact with. So you can do your ministry, not just on the weekend, but every day of the week. Several, for several years, we used to have a sign on the light pole out, out here in our driveway next to the street that said, you are now entering the mission field. Because we believe when you leave this property and go on Goose Creek Road, you're in the mission field. It may be in your office. It may be with your neighbor in your neighborhood. It may be in school. It may be any number of places. But God has a calling and anointing for you. Well, how in the world do I find out what it is? That's the $94 question. How do you find out? Listen carefully. I'm going to give it to you in one word. Well, no, I'm not. I'm going to give it to you in several words. <laughs> Read the word. Pray. Ask God. And lastly, obey. Obey. Obey what he says. Do what he says. That's how you find it.
we had, a, we had a member of the church here for a number of years. He had gone to seminary for, for a period of time, been a, was a part of this church for, I don't know, 30 years or whatever. And I guess he and I talked about this at least a dozen times or more, about his desire to find out what God had called him to do. He could never put his hand on it. I know God's called me to do something, but I can't get it. So we'd talk, we'd pray. He never came to peace on that issue. A godly man, very committed Christian, but he never could get it. I don't know how many times I said to him, perhaps the call of God on your life at this season is on your job that you're working. Maybe that's the call of God. He had a job in an office. I think he was a draftsman or engineer or something like that. And uh, said, maybe that's the call of God on your life. You're around people all the time, every day, five days a week. Maybe that's it. He never could get peace about it. Read the Bible. Pray. Seek His face. And when He tells you something, obey it. Say, well, can your call be, can it change over time? Answer, yes. Can. Can. Now, it'll never be contrary to what He first called you to do, but it might, that direction might vary a little bit into something else that will also complement the building of the kingdom of God. So there are seasons in life. Now, it, can, it can change a little bit, but it'll stay consistent with the original one in a whole lot of respects. Read the Bible. Pray. Obey what He says. And if you haven't yet... Get filled with the Holy Spirit. Because none of us can do what we've been called to do apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. None of us can do what we've been called to do apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. If the first century disciples needed Him, the Holy Spirit, so do 21st century disciples need Him, the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to have your prayer line, prayer language developed to where you can use it anytime, every day. Well, I've only spoken in tongues once and I only said four words. Hey, that's all right. Speak them again. Use it again. Keep using them. One of these days you'll find out you've got a whole language. Like a faucet that's never shut off. Yeah. Just keep using it. You and I need the Holy Spirit to do the work of the Spirit that He wants done. You know what Jesus said? He said, I don't do anything by myself. I only do those things I see my Father do. What do we need to do? We need to do those things that the Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is revealing to us to do as well. And without the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we're hindered a great deal from doing it. Equipped to serve, 
Are we equipped? Are we equipped? Good question. Have we been filled with the Holy Spirit? Do we read and meditate in His Word? Do we pray at other times other than Sunday morning in church? Do we worship Him at other times other than Sunday morning in church? Do we use our prayer language? 